0: Our goal is not to get out of struggle but our, our goal is to be at ease with it and find our strength through that and and that's so important in the healing journey and it's also something that we do really badly in medicine in that we're, we're kind of telling people you don't need to oh you feel acid reflux well let me give you a pill to get rid of that acid reflux as opposed to saying you feel acid reflux what is your body trying to tell you? And and to listen to the strength of the signals in our body and, and feeling pain and feeling struggle as to how that can create not obstacle but opportunity, you know? And, and I think it's just such a major piece that, you know, we've, we've untrained all the, the potential for healing through the sick care system despite best intentions, you know? I mean, I think it's important to recognize that I think all doctors go into it with really good intentions and they're doing really good work with the training that they have, but, but by learning in a system that reduces people to their diagnoses and it takes away their identity as people and makes them diabetic or hypertensive or fibromyalgia or whatever their diagnosis code is, and then tells them you shouldn't be feeling these things in your body, let me give you a medicine to cover up those symptoms, then we lose a lot of wisdom and potential Um, to be our best self.
1: Welcome to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We are Jess and BJ and we're on a mission to create a better world. Part of the way we do that is by waking up and shaking up the world of endurance sports through meditation and mindful practices and sharing stories of purpose through this podcast. This reminds us that we are not here by mistake and that the things we love in this life exist for a reason. And although something may not make sense on paper, it's not necessarily a reason not to pursue it, especially if it's something you love, and is not more mindful humans engaging in activities they love a step towards a better world. I know for BJ and I, our love for mental and physical fitness inspired the creation of Yogi Triathlete. And it appears that our guest today, Dr. Susanna Bazzoni, can relate to the desire to make an impact in the lives of others while doing what she loves. Her business, True Health Journey, was born from the inspiration to do more of what she loves, guiding patients from dependency to empowerment and purpose. As a physician working in the traditional Western medicine model, she realized she could not offer what her patients really wanted and needed from their doctor. She had a deep desire to practice medicine more in accordance with nature's guidance and, most importantly, in a way that addressed diseases, from their root cause rather than covering up symptoms. So she broke away from the constraints of medical insurance billing and partnered with registered nurse and health coach Christine Smith to create a business offering that promotes support, encouragement, accountability, and dedication, everything needed to endeavor the journey to true health. Dr. Bazzoni is a lifestyle medicine physician and yogi, who is also a member of the esteemed team of doctors at Plant Based Telehealth. We're excited to dive in with her and learn more about her story and how she created a profession based on what she loves. Dr. Bazzoni, welcome to the show. Thank you
0: so much. What an intro. That was fantastic. And I can tell you're my people. Oh
1: yeah. Well, we've listened to some podcasts in research of this and you are definitely our people. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I think that'll be (laughs) reciprocal. There's, oh my gosh, there's just so much between the plant-based lifestyle, you know, which is another way that we're waking up and shaking up the world of endurance sports is, you know, and and I, I just feel like there's at this point, it's just, there's too much evidence and there's too many athletes out there doing amazing things on plants to even have an argument at this point. Um, So yeah, so much alignment, but we'd love to hear what brought you here. So if you can take us back to like your background and what got you interested in medicine?
0: Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I didn't expect to go there, but but yeah so so I so I went to college at Davidson College which is a small um small liberal arts school. It's an amazing place. Home of Steph Curry <laughs> about 40 years after me. But <laughs> um, but but it's amazing. I went there on a swimming scholarship and really had th- this idea that that I knew about health, you know, somehow because I was a swimmer and because and I because I thought, you know, I would know about nutrition. I don't know why I thought that. But interestingly, my entry into medicine was I was pre-med there because it was liberal arts and that's kind of the track I took. But but my junior year in college, I um I have a, I, I basically gave blood and I passed out in the lunchroom and I fractured my temporal bone. And so, so I really lost. I mean, I, my whole season, you know, for of swimming, and I went deaf in this ear, and I'm also a singer, and so that was a really traumatic event. But what really drew me to medicine was the fact that I actually saw doctors for the first time because I don't—I'd always been healthy, thankfully, and and really, I, you know, was on this pre-med track, really, because that's what you do, but really got into the medical system as a patient and recognized, you know, I saw this ear, nose and throat doc that, you know, having been a singer and I was performing and the loss of your left ear is really important if you're going to blend and if you're going to hear your accompaniment. So that was really important to me. And he said to me, you know, it's no big deal. You've got the other one. And he just wrote it off to where I felt really upset or stupid for feeling upset, Mm -hmm. I should say. And I, and, and I just thought, you know, th- that kind of physician shouldn't be in medicine. If you're in a role for healing, you need to recognize you have to meet the patients where they are and understand that just because it's no big deal to you doing these major surgeries and seeing these horrible things, it was a very big deal to me and and made me feel so small and and really emphasized, you know, the whole thing I'm trying to fight against in medicine is this this... Idea that we are sick and that we are broken, and that our whole identity is just that that we can 't even get reimbursed as a physician unless you 're broken like i can 't i can 't put health optimization and get reimbursed anything you know i mean and i 'm not in the medical or the and in the insurance system anymore, but that was just it was kind of the nail on the coffin, if you will, of just why we need different souls in medicine, and we need to recognize what healing is. And we need to recognize that we have to meet patients where they are and give them their power. And we have to recognize what is important to them and what is their why and their purpose-driven living. And if we are ever to create healing and to improve the horrible state of health in this country, we have to address it in a different way. And doctors like that shouldn't be in the role of a healer ever, no matter how good their surgical skills are. <laughs> <laughs> so, that, so that's how I got into medicine. So that, that kind of was really, you know, Drove me through.
1: Yeah, I mean the pain. A lot of times, pain—if not—if not all the time—pain and discomfort is really what we need to grow. But uh, I know in yeah. in my own journey, and it sounds
0: like yours too. It's like it took me to purpose. Yes, yes, and it is, and I and I love that, and I love that also. That, and that's one reason, you know, that and, and speaking to yogi people, I'm very excited too, because if you feel your struggle, you know, that our goal is not to get out of struggle, but our our goal is to be at ease with it and find our strength through that, and and that's so important in the healing journey. And it's also something that we do really badly in medicine, in that we're we're kind of telling people you don't need to. Oh, you feel acid reflux? Well, let me give you a pill to get rid of that acid reflux, as opposed to saying you feel acid reflux, what is your body trying to tell you? And and to listen to the strength of the signals in our body and, and feeling pain and feeling struggle as to how that can create not obstacle, but opportunity, you know? And, and, and I think it's just such a major piece that, you know, we've we've untrained all the the potential for healing through the sick care system, despite best intentions, you know? I mean, I think it's important to recognize that I think all doctors go into it with really good intentions and they're doing really good work with the training that they have. But, but by learning in a system that reduces people to their diagnoses and it takes away their identity as people and makes them diabetic or hypertensive or fibromyalgia or whatever their diagnosis code is, and then tells them you shouldn't be feeling these things in your body. Let me give you a medicine to cover up those symptoms. Then we lose a lot of wisdom and potential um, to be our best selves. And, and it's, um, there's a lot of room for growth and, and, you know, it's all about opportunity, right. From, from all angles. (laughs)
1: Yeah. I mean, and I think yoga, um, I love that you've got this, this tool in your toolbox, uh, you know, your yoga education is that yoga really teaches us how to feel. And the tools that yoga provides for us is to, is to allow us to really practice kind of that middle road in, in the face of sensation, in the face of intensity in our body, in our life. And um, yeah, we revere uh, this system. And I agree with you. It's well-intentioned. You know, doctors aren't given mm-hmm. nutrition information. So it's, it's not, we do, the doctor is just practicing the medicine that they know. Right, whatever that is, right, whatever the education is, we're we're practicing what we know, and um, but we are not taught to feel in this society, and we're not taught to feel even as a small child, and then we revere Mm -hmm. the system of labels and diagnoses, and then because we're not taught to feel and we're given a pill not to feel those things, then who are we, right? We're not feeling anymore. Who are Mm -hmm. we? We become the diagnosis, and then we become you know, uh, in this box of limitations, which I think decreases our health even more because we are expansive... Mm -hmm um, beings that came here to grow and, and overcome. Um, Mm -hmm. and so when you, when a patient comes to you, I want to keep pulling on this thread, like when a patient comes to you and they've got this, like, I, I'm depressed. I am, uh, this, I am that Mm -hmm. I am these diagnoses. How do you begin to assist them
0: in unraveling that conditioning really? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's huge. And I think just to go back to one point that you said is that inability to feel and then, but take that a step further is that I think a lot of people when they feel in their body, they can't discriminate that from fear because the feeling that they have is fear. And so that's kind of this really big complex um, pathway that when you talk about identity or as an identity as a sick person, and how do I approach that when we are, uh, you know, interacting with our universe as a person that needs to lose weight or a person that, you, you know, then, then to really recognize and get distance from the sensations that we have in our body and, and to, to separate that thought versus feeling or that, you know, the, the idea, okay, well, so if you have pain or you have any diagnosis, what is that really? It's fear of disability. It's fear of death. It's fear of you know and and so we have to begin to kind of separate that and then also reframe and i and I find that so much of what I do with patients is really reframing their idea of healthcare you know and so so when when we and how do I do that well, well, I think that it's. It's. I just really ask them. It's all. It's all really about them as to their perceptions and and talking about why you want to live longer and what our outcomes that we want are and 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 shifting them away from a weight or the number on the scale or a blood pressure number which has been deemed their identity from this point as that sick person because they they've walked in to to a diagnosis which is what often brings them into the door that then becomes their identity. So we have to start right there. And say, tell me truly why you want to live longer. And it's never to get the scale to say, what, you know, fill in the blank, or or to get my blood pressure less than one twenty. You know, I'd like who cares? And so, so we've got to kind of reframe the the end point to that vibrant soul that wants to go caravanning with their, you know, once they're retired with their husband or they or, or they want to get on the floor with their grandkids or they want to do that marathon or whatever it is that they want in their life. And then to recognize that health needs to be, or health, I should say, diagnosis needs to be demoted to something that's pivotal to reach that most important end. And then when we talk about what we do, it's based on what are you ready for? I want to be a partner in that. And I don't want you to do what I tell you to do. I want you to do what you will do and what your confidence is and what you're ready to do, which often isn't necessary. Through a lot of learning of how to do it wrong, I think that that I can now finally meet a patient where they are and say, you know, what do you, what do you want to do? You don't want to quit smoking. We're not going to touch your cigarettes, right? We're, we're going to talk about what you want to do. And then you build your confidence and you build you know, the actual a sensation of feeling like you can accomplish something and go from there. And then from that interaction, we start talking about their identity. And I love the I don't know if you're familiar with atomic habits. I'm sure you guys probably are, but the book by James Clear, right? So so and I, I love that I that example that he uses where if somebody offers you a cigarette and you say, I'm trying to quit, well they're just gonna come back after you've had a couple of drinks in you and offered it to you again, because your identity is still a smoker. But if you reach them from a, I am not a smoker conversation over. And so we have to say, you you know, if you're interacting as a bad sleeper or an anxious person, or then, then I just say, let me just stop. Let's just stop right there and think about that. And I want you to redirect your identity as a good sleeper that might be struggling right now, and let's move from there. You know, it's <laughs> so that's kind of the conversation and how it goes. And it's a lot of you know tearing down previous conceptions as to what being healthy is and defined as, and what I should be. And so, it, and it's a, it's just a beautiful journey from that that I that I hope gives power to people rather than dependence. Mm-hmm.
2: And that takes time <clears throat> that takes time with that, that with the patients, and we find that in our coaching too. Yeah. where it's it's a conversation over a long period of time. like to to get them in and out, oh, yeah. you're going to get the surface level stuff. But when you begin to dig deeper, you begin to find the relationship of how you can help them change through who they are and where they are right now, not force and this is where i've been before as a coach and maybe you have too like you're trying to force this agenda because you believe this is this is what worked for me or somebody and then you're like okay well this is how it has to be like get on board like i can show you the the pathway but in reality it's actually different for for each of us and the the in this is finding what are those threads you can pull on with that individual patient to get the best change in the most efficient and rapid way possible not being attached to the timeline yes. of when that has to happen.
0: Right. And and also I think listening is so big there. I mean, I know, you know, when you first learn about plant-based medicine and lifestyle medicine, or th- it was my experience is I basically came back to my clinic and I'm like an evangelist, you know, and I'm like, you're not getting out of here. And I had patients that were like, I really think you're a great doctor. I think you're really good, but I think I need to find a different provider because I can't, I can't be vegan. And I'm like, oh no. (laughs) But that was, you know, initially you have to recognize that what I was doing by doing that was actually creating isolation. And I was in effect kind of, you know, saying, oh, I've just found this amazing answer and wanting everyone to know it. And then what I'm truly telling them and being, you know, especially after I moved back to Tennessee, you know, and totally forgetting of the existence of sweet tea, and fried chicken and, you know, and, and lard and cooking in lard, you know, just like things that this is, this is the South, this is the heart of the South. So we have to recognize that what I was doing by encouraging whole food plant-based nutrition as the only option or, or approaching it in a way that, that was not listening to the patient. Then I was basically telling them, you can't eat your wife's cooking. And so what am I doing? I'm not helping them at all. I'm creating stress. I'm creating strife. I'm, I'm isolating them and that just loses the whole purpose of why we're on the planet which is to connect and do what matters most to us and and so so if if in effect they perceive my recommendations to them as something that means they can't go to their granddaughter's birthday party then i have failed <laughs> you know so it was a, it was kind of a really interesting and and you know just kind of playing with and listening and recognizing my whole career you know, I, I did my training in Denver um, next to a refugee clinic, and so you know, of all things, you would think you know it's it's really about learning where people come from and what they see as normal, and and that's been a huge and recurrent theme wherever I've been is. God, would would I just shut my mouth and start listening? <laughs> you know, so I can understand where, where they are and what they're ready to do. If you really want to see change, and then create community around that change, and and be the support that helps them along. But but you know, it's it's it is a it, it was a learning curve for sure. So
1: let's. uh, I'd love to hear your plant-based story. I know you were born in New York, but you were raised in Chattanooga. So you're raised in the South. Um, You may have had some food cooked in lard uh, along the way. What (laughs) What brought you to plant-based? What was your diet like growing up? And then what woke you up to whole
0: food, plant-based living? Yeah. Yeah. So, so interestingly, so my dad was from the Bronx, right. And my mother was actually a professional dancer in New York city and they met, he was a a cop in the Bronx and, and they met. And so I never actually really was raised on the Southern diet though. I grew up here, um, which, and we always did have a recognition of whole, of, generally, you know, not pristine, but whole food, you know, there was always vegetables. My dad used to make us put wheat germ on our cereal and I always thought that was strange, but, but, you know, certain things were like, you know, you need this. I heard it was good for you. You know? So, so you do that. And so, so there was a, a recognition that, you know, vegetables are important. There was a lot of meat and there was definitely, I mean, having swum for 13 years and, you know, went to college swimming, um, thinking, God, I've got to eat all this protein, you know, because that's what you do as an athlete, you know. And And then I went, you know, from going really high on carbs to just really high on protein and having it sit like a lead weight in my stomach and think, Oh yeah, I'm going to (laughs) swim fast. But, but, you know, it's, it's, so, you know, again, some recognition of, at least it wasn't very highly processed. It wasn't loads of sugar, but there was a lot of this kind of emotional connection to food, which is so common in the Italian heritage, you know, and, and you have to, and that's a big thing that comes up where you think, you know, because my dad, I mean, I remember him talking about growing up in the Bronx and with black and white cookies and a cannoli and like everything, the love that Italians say their food with is, you know, and you have to say, well, if I'm not going to eat the cannoli, does that mean that I don't love my father? <laughs> I mean, and and that's a big deal, you know. And so, just in the same way, I think that really people go and they get into hot dogs because they go to the game with their dad and they eat hot dogs. And so, we have to kind of start separating the emotions of the food with the food itself and, and, but when it is so much part of the passion that you have, especially in that Italian heritage and the, how you do your gravy with your meat sauce and all that stuff is like really a big deal Then then, you know, so that was kind of my upbringing with food. And, and then interestingly, you know, I went through this college and this athlete and thing like that. And then my coach, um, in college was a pan packs coach and he, Came back from the Panpax games in Australia, and and all these swimmers, like old swimmers, like thirty year olds, were dropping their times. <laughs> that was a joke, <laughs> but they were dropping their times. And he said, um, you know, th- that they were being interviewed and saying, "What do you think? Why do you think you're going so fast?" And and the answers was yoga. You know And so, so when he came back from the Pan Pax game, and I think that was it might have been my junior year, the same year I fractured my soul, sadly, but he brought a yoga teacher in. And that's when I first started doing yoga. And I know this is a roundabout route to get to plant-based eating, but I think it's kind of interesting because because I was so, so after residency and during residency, yoga was my sanity. And I kept on really recognizing, I didn't, know, I don't know if you're familiar with for, on a forest or forest yoga, but I did my teacher training with her and, and, and there was all these forests. I didn't even know I was doing forest yoga in Denver, uh, but because they didn't, they just called it vinyasa, but it was so important because I was seeing, and I was in the sports medicine clinic a lot and all these rotator cuff injuries, um, not just from yoga, which is one thing, but, but all, just in general, from all of our time, on the desks and forward folds and just everyone is like hunched over their car, et cetera. And, and, and on forest is very big into that back body strengthening and core strengthening. So important for, for rehabbing your rotator cuff. And I started recognizing as I was injecting all these shoulders and doing all these procedures, like these people need yoga. This is so important, <laughs> you know, and so, and it was my sanity with all those long shifts. We were still working 80-hour shifts or 80-hour weeks and, you know, up to 30 hours in the hospital, and it was just so taxing, and my life and any chance I got, I would go into the yoga studio, and so I did my yoga teacher training as soon as I graduated, and having done that and, and you know, subbing sometimes when I got a chance, et cetera, to teach, um, every my patients would come to me knowing I was a yogi and, and tell me, "Well, you're a vegetarian, right?" And I'd be like, "No." No. You know, you got I got these teeth. This is why you eat meat. You know, I said all those idiotic things that people say when they when they haven't read any nutritional data like I hadn't, you know, through my through my career. And so and it was fascinating when finally I went to my first um, lifestyle medicine conference in San Diego and my my jaw just dropped. And I was listening to Dean Ornish and and just these amazing leaders in in lifestyle medicine and hearing all this data on plant-based nutrition. And I I could not believe that so much data was out there that I had never heard it. it. This is the information that people would come to me wanting to know and assumed that I had it, not because I was a doctor, but because I was a yogi, you know, and, and, and then finally, you know, and so then finally my transition began as I got more um, in depth with the with the data of lifestyle medicine and how, how to use a plant-based diet to heal uh, diseases and to optimize your health. And so so that's kind of how I got there was really through the data after people telling me I was vegetarian for years before that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Do you think... Do you think that would have any impact if you look back at your swimming block, your career, your, your, uh, do do you think if you were plant-based or at least ventured into that, the possibility of using that your your performance and maybe your longevity maybe in the sport would have been expanded?
0: Totally, totally. And I, I, I cannot imagine. And I just think about what I was eating. And actually when I went to college, I had never, my mom had never bought sugar cereal. So I just think of, you know, I ate so much cat and crunch and like we had this never ending cereal bar and it was just the m- amount of processed foods that I ate in college because I could and then I you know and I was a mid distance distance swimmer and so imagine just the amount of you know endurance and support that I could have had had I actually been nourishing myself and we did do things you know we would always as as you know that swimmers do as they lead up to their meet. And it feels like an eternity. You go dry and you don't shave and, and you do all these things and then you give up something. And so I, I gave up soda my first year and never went back to it because I realized when I, you know, I had a, in college, I had a strict rule. I will only drink soda if it's, if it's combined with alcohol, <laughs> which <laughs> thankfully I, I I was very rigid you see and and then after that i gave up the the i would take a whole bag of gummy bears and what are those sour those 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 really tart things i can't remember sour patch kids or whatever they're called sour patch kids. and that's yeah. how I, yes and i would eat them through class through all my science classes all my pre med classes just to stay awake and i then i gave that up thankfully second year so it was a, i was on a health journey <laughs> but i can only imagine had I been a little bit more aware and had anyone mentioned nutrition and the role that it played in training, that would have been really great. <laughs> and yeah, that's, I, and an interesting, you know,
2: that's interesting. Yeah. Go, go yeah. ahead. Keep going on that.
0: Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, I just think, you know, and I don't know what's happening now in colleges and and with with you know, I mean, the likes of um, I, I know Scott Stoll. Are you familiar with Scott Stoll? Um, who he was an Olympic um, bobsledder, and he is in, in turn, he's a great. He does the Plantrition Project. He's a, just a leader in lifestyle medicine, and he is. Um, I remember him talking about trying to speak to the Olympic athletes about nutrition um, a, a while back and, and really not getting the reception that he expected from athletes, you know, thinking that, and I honestly, I don't know where that is or if that's changed in some of these teams. Um, I, you, I mean, probably, you know, more than, than I do in terms of that. Cause I'm really outside of the sports world these days.
2: Well, uh, well I've heard people go into the, the Olympic training center in Colorado Springs that you go into that cafeteria yeah. and it's not plant-based, It's not, you know, uh, even even recently. I forgot who we were talking to. When you go in there and you see, like, there's options, and they're promoting, you know, chocolate milk as recovery, and um, they have the hard proteins there. I I think there's more options, but I still think, from what I from what I was understanding, is that they're still in that belief that you need. Certain number of calories, certain number of ratios of things that you need in your body to perform well. And although we yeah. are showing that plant-based athletes can excel, I don't think it's tipped the scale completely yet. Where this is this is the path to take. Yeah,
0: mm. yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's it's certainly a a, a slow transition. But I c- you can only imagine what could have happened, you know, in terms of the performance. Which there were some great performances. I mean, you know, and and think about you know the the horrible fuel that we were giving ourselves and still you know swimming relatively well <laughs> you know it, it's just you know imagine you know, but, but yes, so, so much opportunity, just like everything. I think that we have to make it fun. We have to bring people in and we have to, to recognize that, that it's about the community and the positive change and, and, and focus on what to increase and, and those things. And, and, and as much as we can bring that in, I think it's just going to help everyone. And, and as a side note, you know, the planet and, and all kind of other good things. <laughs> so it's, um, it's kind of a, a win-win, but we got to take it the way people are ready for it.
1: <laughs> I think when um when what I've seen with athletes is that when they t- take the jump or take the leap or make the transition and they do it w- in a way where they're consuming, you know, enough calories, which we've seen across the board vegan not vegan that athletes aren't f- mm-hmm. fueling enough um during their workouts yeah, yeah. after their workouts things like that. But the piece that really hooks them and they have to be in it is the recovery, yeah. how quickly they will bounce from hard training yes. sessions and races. And that's the thing that you just can't unsee yeah. uh, when your body just reacts in a way it has never it has never reacted in before. I mean, I remember doing Ironmans and like limping for days and now DJ just did the, he just did the world championship in Kona. And the next day I kept having to remind myself, like he just did an Ironman yesterday because you were were working, but he was walking better than me. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. It's just
0: amazing. Isn't it? Yeah. And I mean, I definitely, I think I'm definitely, I'm in better shape than I was then, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm 44, you know, it, it's, it's just really so powerful uh, what, what fueling yourself can be like and nourishing yourself. I mean, and I think that's, that's a kind of um, something that needs to be brought out. And that's something that I see a, a lot with plant-based telehealth patients, often because a lot of the patients, they come to plant-based telehealth already on the journey, you know, so, as opposed to the patients that I see here locally, which are kind of starting them out, i I see a lot of patients that have been doing this for for a while and and then it's really about asking, are they nourished and looking at the whole picture, are we focusing on what we're taking away, or are we focusing on what I can't eat or or thinking, I just have to take away more or or shift harder in my nutrition and forgetting to plug it into that whole picture? And to really ask, are we nourished with the choices, not just with our food in terms of balanced eating and, and getting enough calories, but also, um, you know, am I sleeping and am I caring for myself and what am I doing outside of the nutrition piece to really help me reap the benefits of those glorious nutrients that I'm intaking? And sometimes you find a real disconnect there you know and and so i think it's it's a really important um thing to remember the context um of it's not just the food and the food is huge but but if if we are stressed out and we're cramming it down in front of the computer while we're working or or you know not really finding gratitude finding a moment to really take in that that nutrition and to feel how it nourishes us and to to allow the parasympathetic nervous system to do its job because it's you know bringing that balance you know into play then 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 that can be a lot of it and so a lot of the work that i do there because a lot of those patients are very well educated in the nutrition and the nuts and bolts of it but it's really putting the framework around it so they can really thrive within you know their garden can thrive within those walls
2: yeah yeah i i see that so often it's it you know people want to change their nutrition plan for going into a race or during a race and after a race and what I find most often when you, again, go deeper into the questioning, it's this—it's simply the stress that they carry in their life from work, life, um, expectations, and this stress causes... Um, an imbalance in the body and they can't absorb the things that they are putting in. So it's the, it's the very reason why this nutrition plan works one, one time, like maybe they don't realize it, but they're calm. And then the next five races, it's a, it's terrible. You know, they cramp, they're throwing up. It's, it's not working. And there's nothing to do with the nutrition. Granted there are many options out there and everybody's body works a little bit differently, but in the grand scheme of things, it's really about how you're managing stress and, and, and challenges in life how are you reacting to them are you are you in a calm state or are you at peace are you can you can you notice the urge to get incited into like this anger why can you just kind of release it and and let the food do what it's supposed to do in an environment that's conducive to to pulling the most most quality out of it yeah
0: Mm -hmm. that's what we see totally totally i mean it is and and so you know it's so much is the perception that creates the reality you know and, and and like looking at how we perceive the world at how we perceive our journey and also not over focusing on the destination but really just saying well, hey let's be in this moment for a minute cuz this is pretty great you know and you know and celebrating and those things to to really take time that i think you know there's a lot of people that go into this as like gung ho like i'm going to do this i'm going to reverse this disease and you know and and then we have to take some time. And, and it's so often because those people that are really the, the those gunners that are going to go all, all, and I can say that because, you know, I'm one of those, right? You know, and, and so, but they just, they don't ever stop to say, you know, when you ask them, you're like, how are you doing? And they're like, oh, really bad. Horrible. <laughs> and you, you have to back up and be like, wait, hold on. Wait, you said that your energy was better. You said that, you know, you have to like take it back and, and say, yeah, you no longer constipated. And, and you know, these things, it's so Let's just stop there and recognize that, you know, and and really celebrating those wins and feeling that kind of dopamine and that wow, I have done something. We often forget to do that, and so taking time on the journey to really say, okay, that's pretty good, <laughs> you know, and, and gratitude and and those things, and then your journey becomes more pleasant. And as you go on it, you want to do more, and you will do more, and you'll do it in a way that you'll enjoy it. And if we're not going to enjoy this, then what's the point? <laughs> you know, it should be magnificent. And and so, you know, we got to re- redirect if we're perceiving as ourselves the victim or I'm not good enough or those things, And it's just time to take pause and say, let's just, let's just take a minute and look at what we're focusing on and start from there.
2: How do you have your patients pause? Like what is a What is something that you can integrate into their life to, to interrupt that that process maybe of reaching to the cabinet or the fridge, is there some sort of tool or something that you can impart on them to maybe take a breath or, or I don't know what techniques you, you can share?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, what I talk largely, I mean, in terms of, you know, sometimes if there's like a sugar addiction, I'll usually say, okay, so and I don't know if you are familiar with the work of, of Judd Brewer, um, but, but I really love his, his just pathway of recognizing, okay, if we have a craving for food, Um, You know, first we want to go about this mindfully. So he goes through this mindfulness track of looking at what's the trigger, what's the behavior, say it's I'm, you know, emotionally eating, whatever, Um, and then follow the, the result in through the end to the end. Um, and so by doing that and taking distance and, and just stepping back without criticism, because I think a lot of this, and especially when you talk about emotional eating, it comes from a place where a, there's a lot of criticism. There's a lot of, oh, I'm weak. Like this is a willpower problem. And so so, so, just kind of stepping back from that and, and giving the tools to to recognize if we create distance and begin to... Not necessarily not do the action, but do it with mindful, mindfully, and bringing intention into the process, and then truly recognizing that the result is maybe a sugar rush and a dopamine rush when I take that first bite, and then the almost immediate, or sometimes certainly within a relatively soon amount of time, is you know guilt. Nausea, heartburn, you know, maybe weight gain over a, a longer amount of time, you know, chronic disease like diabetes, et cetera. So, if we're really looking at, at say, what we used to perceive as a reward, and it kind of ties back into that emotional eating, you know, if if I see a cannoli because I'm like my dad used to love my cannolis, so I'm going to have a cannoli. This is great, and I'm going to think of my dad on that first bite, and I'm going to go, ooh, that's great. Right. But then if I keep on eating cannolis, right, not only will I, I be constipated and indigestion and probably weight weight gain and all of these things, but I have to recognize that the true result of that is actually a punishment, not a reward. And that if if my endpoint is the most vibrant version of myself, then clearly this is not a decision that's serving me. As opposed to if my endpoint is a a weight of fill in the blank or a number that that you know I'm trying to be the the good patient at diagnosis that totally is not fulfilling me and it has nothing to do with who I am as a person and what I value and what gives me joy and passion, then it just feeds into that negativity cycle. But if if I really have my eye on the prize and so what I want people to put on their fridge is not um, you know their ideal body weight. I mean who cares? Right. And so so but but rather put a picture of you on the floor with your grandkids or whatever it is that really excites you that you want to do. And then when you ask yourself, is this nourishing me? You say to what end is this making me feel more vibrant, more mobile, less inflamed so I can get on the floor and then get up again, you know, or whatever that might be. And so we just like bring distance and mindfulness to that. And so in addition to just like pausing, waiting 10 minutes, changing your environment, getting curious without criticism about the triggers. You know, who did I just talk to? Is it stress? Is it anxiety? Is it overwhelm? Just getting curious. Oh, look, I didn't sleep well last night. Hmm, That's interesting. You know, just kind of noticing these things. And And then from there, that's in the acute moment. But in there, I really talk a lot about building the framework. And I do a lot of kind of it, you know, what I love to do really is work with groups and communities because I think that's where the money is. If we're gonna really make a difference, we have to make the healthy option be the easy natural option. And the way to do that is by creating that to be the norm. So this is not such a foreign discussion, but 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 when we talk about frameworks, and I mention this because I, I do this with employee wellness webinars and and you know really try to create like a wellness community amongst employees and employers because it behooves them to have healthy people as opposed to the hospital system. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, it's, it's, it's really about, if you want to be more productive you want to be happier, you want to have good, happy, well-cared for and nourished employees. And so, so in talking about that framework, setting bookends, you know, what is your morning intention? What is your evening intention? And sometimes, and I find that that really helps to just, keep them so that at least they can check in in the morning. And it, that could take three minutes, deep breaths, connect with your intention, maybe get outside and get grounded, take, you know, or something like that. But then so they can connect with that bigger picture and then close it out, but, you know, without screens, without other voices, but rather with their own intention. And they can connect back to that in those moments of of cravings or whenever that they're struggling with whatever the food choice or whatever that might be, if we start by building that support structure, then, then I feel like they have something that they can connect to at times when they're not stressed and they can tie into that easier when they are stressed.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) I just, I'm, I'm, I feel so happy watching you talk and hearing you talk because it's so clear that this is what you love. And it's also so clear to me that this is true medicine. Like this is healthcare um, the way it was intended to be. It's so beautiful. Um, But you had to step away from traditional insurance billing, you know, Bill enough for this sickness, maybe get a bonus. I don't know how it works, but I think maybe that's in there somewhere. Um, was that scary to step away, or was just this passion and this misalignment with where you were and where you, what you really wanted to be doing, was that just strong enough to keep you, you know, moving forward? Because I think, I think uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about like you physician, you're, and you're in healthcare and all of that, but you're also somebody who has bills and you're starting this business and is totally against the grain. And was that scary? How did that yeah. go?
0: <laughs> well, so I have to say, um, yeah, it, but um, in fact, it probably should have been scarier because to tell you perfectly, honestly, I did it and I didn't get a paycheck. I, I made no money for a year. I, we covered our expenses, which was exciting. I wasn't going in the hole, but I made no money for a year. And so I probably should have been a little bit more scared before I did it. (laughs) But, but I, I I have to say, I'm so glad I did it. And I, and I couldn't have done it. You know, my husband was so supportive of it and he's British and he's an artist. and, And it's amazing how when you, I honestly feel if you are following your purpose it will work out. Finances will work out, and it's amazing. You just go through your phone and you realize how many subscriptions you're paying for, and you get rid of them, and you, you just like pare down to the to. The, and it's that's an important and valuable thing. And you recognize though that you have to think open-mindedly. So so the reason I jumped out and it was amazing. Like I was in the sick care system, but. I was working with my partner now at True Health Journey. It um, was amazing. And she is true south in your mouth. Like she is absolutely just such a star. And, and what she says, and, and, and it's great because she does speak the Southern diet. And she grew up on the Southern diet. And her husband grew up on the Southern diet. And that's really important because um, while I grew up in the South, and I ate some Southern food sometimes it it was not part of, you know, my roots, if you will. Um, And so, so it's, it's so valuable. What she says is she's like, it's like sex. Once you know, you can't unknow, you know, and and so so she is, so it's just, it's fantastic. And she and I were working and we started, we were, as far as I know, still the only people in this area to do group visits. And so we were trying to really bring lifestyle medicine in the only way that I think you can really get reimbursed for it and also creating community around it, which is so valuable. But in doing that, it almost did me in because I, because I at first there was this hope and I was like we're going to redirect this. We're going to change the medical system. And then I thought, this is like the Titanic. I'm doing myself in, I'm not sleeping. This is, you know, my own self-care was suffering as a result of that system. And, and so, so we, we thought, why are we trying to, to change a, a really great model and a really great class to meet the insurance requirements to bill for it when they're broken? Like it's, it's, why do we will you adapt something to fit a broken model? And so that's when we decided to kind of, to jump out. And it was, it's a great learning experience because we kind of thought we'd, we'd jump out and then people would come to us. And, and, and it was, you know, like, well, wait, we're cash pay. It's a different, you know, and, and, and we really had to rethink. And, and what was so valuable in that is to recognize that, it, it's it's about community. and it's about partnerships. And so, so that was the real kind of humbling, but so valuable information because if we want to make this to be the way of life that is normal, and we want, our community, our nation, our Western world to redirect its health destiny, then we have to make this achievable and something that we can all come together. And so we partnered with various people. And I have to say the only money I made in that year, and it was so fun because so COVID hit. So that was actually after after that. So we we, we COVID hit, though, it was, it was one of the the... A really t- turning point, um, and and one of the, a yoga studio here and a dear friend of mine runs it, and it's just a lovely community. And she asked me to teach lifestyle medicine to the yoga teachers uh, in their teacher training, and 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 so and I did that, and we started partnering and doing things with that community of of yogis, and also with with the yogis, not just the teacher trainings, but teaching plant based kickstarts one oh one, and then we did two oh one, and we ran that. Uh, two or three times during the pandemic virtually, and then did a full immersion yoga teacher training. And, and I thought, you know, it's, this is where people truly go so often to get health advice is the, to their yoga teacher training. So these people need to know what does the evidence say, because they're not going to go to their doctor. They, they know now not to generally go to their doctor for 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 health advice, <laughs> or, or to, to for nutrition advice, perhaps I should, you know, but and so it's really important that, that our yoga teachers, the people that have their their feet on the front lines of people that are already taking active steps towards health, that they know what the evidence says. And so so and and that I really felt was so valuable, but I never would have done that had I not been at a certain state of desperation, you know, had I jumped out and been like, Oh, you know, I got a full practice or whatever. Is, but it really is, was so valuable. And then now we partner with the YMCA and I've always been, I used to wake up and open the YMCA at five in the morning um, the year after, I deferred medical school, um, and and so I've always been just such a big proponent of the YMCA and the work that they do in the community, and and so and and we teach um, or my health coach actually teaches a food RX class that's now offered free at a local hospital, and so partnering with them and the community and the work that they're already doing um, has been such just amazing thing, and we're actually just starting a program with them um, that's called heart and soul. And so we, we teach teens to garden and then to cook whole food plant-based meals. And those meals go to heart failure patients that are being discharged from our local hospital. And, and this like model of program, I've, that was actually one of the first introductions to see the role of nutrition in patients, um, uh, the, the kind of overhead umbrella company or, 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 um, uh, program is called the Series Project, and it's in California. Actually, it was, it was like the leader that is now making um, medically tailored meals a covered benefit for, for Medicaid patients throughout the state of California, and that's big time. And so, the original program, um, it, it, I refer, I was referring patients into the program, um, and one of my patients, I remember. Had cancer, uh, pancreatic cancer, and was given three months to live. And what it was, she was about five, six months in, I believe. And she was like, "The reason I am still alive is because of this program." And while, and so, I really got to see with my own eyes, nutrition must m- mean something, you know. And 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 so, it speaks to the doctors that are referring into the program. Obviously, it speaks to the patients, but it also trains the teens to see their role and food is medicine, and so so it's. It, I've always wanted to start it in Chattanooga, and the original program was not plant based, and so we're doing two shifts on that, which is one, it's whole food plant based entirely, and two, it's el soul food. So it is soul food, black flavors, and um, Latino flavors, so we can reach the population generally at the highest risk, um, and really speak to to um, hopefully bring them in and empower them um, in the community where where they are with both the teens and the and the patients, and so so it's. You know, that, I know that was a really long and distorted answer, but but all that to say that I never would have recognized the role and the need for partnership and community, and that that is really the centerpiece to make this really thrive and to see the difference we can make had I not been in somewhat of a desperate state, having had no income. <laughs> So, so that that ties
2: us back, right? <laughs> well, that that sh- that well, that defies again. It goes against the grain because the first thing you do when you leave your job is, well, I got to make money to make up for the job that I did have, and I got to get money soon. Where your approach is similar to ours is like I just I don't I I can't com- I have this feeling this compelling feeling that I can't not do anything else, but I have I <laughs> have to I have to proceed with this. I have to do it. I'm just owe it to myself to go forward. And it may not make sense to other people. And did that happen? Did other people kind of like, what are you doing? Like, this does not make sense.
0: Oh, yeah. In fact, I, I went to the plantrician Conference in, in Oakland, you know, going back to where. So I worked in Sonoma, California, for, for six years and, and and it was lovely. And I worked in, in you know, I worked in two capacities, really, the, in a private clinic and also in the community health center because I didn't want to leave that. You know, I'd always worked in underserved and I speak Spanish. And, and so and it was just such a beautiful experience. Um, split that I wanted to 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 work in both clinics so I had kind of you know all these very big you know whiny people the sommeliers and the and the vineyard owners and all these people in the private practice and then and then in the community health practice I had all the vineyard workers and then the, the unifying thing was you know when you spray the grapes everybody gets sick you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter your your education or your clout or any of that. That and and then I started working um, through the through the hospital as the director of wellness and and seeing you know that we want to be the bridge between the six, the sick care system and the community and really recognizing that health is built in the community. And that's when I started, you know, a little angel told me to go to the, the lifestyle medicine conference. But I, but I mentioned that because I went back to, to a conference years later and I went back to visit, you know, my old, my old crew and, and while, and lovely people, amazing people, great doctors, really good, but it is amazing how you feel an eye roll. You know, you feel like, you know, we're working predominantly with nutrition, um, you know, like you really sold out, you know, like, you know, and, and, and there's this this <laughs> this kind of piece of, you know, that and it's just an interesting thing. And I honestly feel that a lot of it comes from the fact that I think a lot of physicians, some see the problem and feel trapped that they can't jump out of it because of the b- benefits and the that and then I think others. Are so ingrained in the guidelines and and the 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 institution of medicine, um, and and that we're trained to do ICU care and be the sickest and know the latest medicines and do these things. And while that's important, um, if we're not looking at the root drivers, then we, you know we're only going to get sicker and sicker. And that's what's happened. And, and if we don't see there's a problem there, then you know, we ain't going, i got to fix it. (laughs) Uh, But, but, you know, you, you you see all kinds of things that I think that, that it's, it's just knowing that you feel what is right for you and you're following your purpose with your gifts and what you can make the biggest impact doing. And, and I know that me seeing 30 patients in a day, not peeing, not sleeping, I wasn't helping anyone and I was doing myself in. And, and I really feel that I'm making an impact now that is of such a great need. And we have to follow where that is and be true to ourselves. And, and you deal with the eye rolls as they come and you just be like, well, I bet she's kind of miserable, you know? <laughs> and, and I think there's a lot of that, you know, if you feel trapped in your system, then then it's easier to give an eye roll than it is to jump out, you know, if, if we're not equipped to do it and we're not in our training.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people feel trapped. I think they're trapped in their diagnoses. I think they're trapped in the system, um, trapped in marriages, trapped in jobs. Yeah. And um, I think the first start is to getting out of that is really getting clear on what it is that we do love. What it is like Yeah. A lot of people will say, "Well, I don't know. I don't know what my purpose is." I just talked to somebody the other day, yeah. they're like, "How how do I even know what it is? Like I'm doing this and I'm going to school, but like is this my purpose?" How do you guide people or answer that question when they say, I don't know what I love. I don't
0: know what my purpose is. How do I find out? Yeah, well, yes. Well, that is such a great question. I think it's also really important to recognize that that's not a bad thing, you know, because it changes, right? When your kids grow up, where a lot of parents, they're like, they're just trying to get their kids to not go to jail and to, you know, to get to school and, you know, these like things. And then their kids go out of the house. And and so I see a lot of people that are trying to search for their purpose in their like retirement or they just retired. And that's a huge, these big changes where they have had a clear purpose and they recognize that maybe their purpose was to be in a job that then they realize that they hate, you know? And, and so, so, so it is, it's really, I think an important question to ask um, regularly you know, maybe even yearly, you know, or every, you know, j- just to really say, is this still what I'm striving for? Reconnect to it. And then what I do, and so, and my sister is actually, she. She, she she's an amazing writer and she's really creative. And so she made because I said, you know, will you help me make this uh, find your why or find your purpose worksheet? And so and it just asks these questions that and in and, and a really pretty and she made it really pretty with these inspirational pictures and quotes and things like that, which I think are, are lovely. And, and I don't have that skill. And, and, and so, so and really just asking feel in your body what brings you joy. And what, and what joy feels like. And, and when you don't feel, what you feel bad and what you're doing, what you're eating, you know, what's your behavior like. And when you feel good and what you did. And just really start to just get distance about what brings you joy, what brings you vibrance and connecting with your body. And again, I think it really goes to that ability to, to find distance. And that, you know, the meditation piece, while well, I... I can't say like I'm a perfect meditator. I did meditate this morning, but it's something that like I wish I'd do all the time and I would be a such a better person. But 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 the idea and the themes of that of creating distance and being okay with what is and and being in this space right now to recognize what am I feeling? Can I move something that's tense to something that's neutral to something that's positive? And then finding the things that make me feel in that positive zone and whatever those things are that you do, that you feel, that you breathe, the books you read, that, you know, then you're getting closer and you're getting warmer. And it just kind of helps to guide that. And so, like, I'll, you know, just to give you an example, for me, I, I hate, I hated I see you. I hated these rounds of like acute care. I I hated seeing patients and then having this thing like, oh my God, but what if, what if it wasn't sinusitis? What if I've just missed a meningitis? And what, you know, and I, all of this, like those, those things. And there are doctors that thrive on that. There are people that love, you know, the emergency and the care and all that stuff that, that, and so pe- there, you find your different things. And I find what did I, what do I love? I love Finding a group of people and connecting to them and making them feel excited. And that I think comes from kind of a little bit of working on this, you know, singing on the stage and doing these things. And I like and you think that could never play a role in medicine. But in fact, like now my favorite thing is I do wellness webinars for these companies and I get to connect to people and 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 feel a community turn on for positive change. And, and so while I didn't, I wasn't learn that in medical school. And at first I was like, well, I'm trained to do this ICU work and I'm trained to do this hardcore medicine and I'm selling out by, you know, you have to be true to yourself and then, and then you can really make a difference. And so, so like finding those things and never saying that, well, because I'm trained to be this, I can't do that. Well, why not? You know, and and I just remember like I think of my dad, and I like there for a minute, I was like, I don't think I want to go to medical school. I think I want to be an opera singer. And my dad said, you know, you can sing opera while you're operating. And yes. <laughs> I was like, and then I I met my husband's family, and and they just said, hey, you go to medical school. Well, why would you do that when you could be an opera singer? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Huh. You know, and, and so it's just this, this really amazing, you know, ability to, to say what gives you joy. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't combine it with something that makes money and that your job has to be painful. <laughs> you, know? you could potentially make money and do something you love and you'll do it better. And, and that opportunity is there. So again, a long answer, but, but I just really go with finding joy and, and, there's something to that.
1: <laughs> yeah. And brings, brings it just full circle
0: to what we talked about at the beginning is this, um,
1: you know, we're living in a society where people aren't feeling. And so feeling with awareness will really be, I mean, just start there feeling an awareness, feeling an awareness, and you'll get so much information about what you love, what you don't love, what feels aligned, what doesn't feel aligned. Um, and go from there. And it doesn't yeah. have to be your profession. Maybe it's something you do yeah. on Saturday mornings for 15 minutes, you know, once a month, but just do yeah. more of what you love because yeah. more people in this world doing more of what they love is more love in the world.
0: Yes. Yes. And that's, and that's it. And I think that's, you know, it, it's so in jumping off to, to follow this dream. I think it's, you know, like my husband, he said, you need to do that you're miserable. Like he, and there was not a question in his mind. There was, I mean, you know, and that's something that's lovely, not to our financial advisor, but, but that it's really about living this life that we're in and not thinking too much about, you know, how much you're putting to retirement and all these things, but to really say, you know, and that's what he, what he said to me. And he, he was just like, you need to do what will make you happy. And, and don't stay in that job. And then as a result, you know, I'm a nicer person. And so it's better for him and it's, and I'm nicer mother, you know, and, and you don't, you know, so, so you do everything better if you follow what your love is. And so, yes, absolutely. Right on.
2: Yeah. I think the details will fill those fill itself in. We get too wrapped up in how it has to, how it has to be and how it has to unfold and, um, I think you just, you got to follow your heart and let everything else and trust, trust that everything else will fall in. And what we're doing, what you're doing, what what we're doing is giving people more permission to do this, to say it's okay um, to take the path less traveled. Although it gets more and more narrow as you go further down the path, it's okay. (laughs) It's okay. Yeah. So I think we just need to continue to give people permission. I think I, I firmly believe that that's our purpose here. Um, and I'm talking about all of us. I really believe that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Yeah, absolutely.
1: Well, thank you so much. Um, just loved talking with you and love your story. I want to stay connected. I just, what you're doing is amazing. And like I said, there's going to be a whole bunch of vegans in town for Ironman next year because one of our coaches, Daniel, um, his persona is vegan powered athlete and he has a whole community of people And every year when he puts out the applications to be a part of this team, it just so many more people are interested in it. It gives me, it just makes my heart f- so full. It gives me so much hope. So Chattanooga will be, um, inundated with vegan athletes next year. I can't
0: remember when the, is it it's September? September. Wow. Yeah.
2: The full Ironman. Yes.
0: Awesome. Well, definitely. Yeah. Well, please connect me because I would love yeah. to, you know, there's just a great plant-based community here and and growing and anything that i can do i just think that's that's fantastic there's wonderful yogis too and so, so um you know definitely um i would love to be part of that that that's amazing thank you so much this has been such a fun conversation i would do it again in a heartbeat <laughs> you guys are amazing. oh thank, thank you, you. <laughs> we
1: appreciate it and i'll definitely make that connection with you um for you with with him that'll be great so thank Yay. you again um really really love this conversation